Well, like I said, we're finishing our series in Psalm 23 today. Um, and like we have done uh, previously in the series, I just want to read through the text for us. So if you don't already have your Bible with you um, or a copy of it, either on your phone or tablet, uh, make sure that you get that now so that you can follow along um, as we work through this passage. Uh, Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray and just ask God to help us with this. Father, as we come to your word now, and God, we have, um, we've looked at and we've leaned into you as our shepherd and you as our guide. And God, I'm asking that in these next few moments, just as we look through these last few verses, that you would indeed guide us, that you'd lead us through them. And God, that through our time together, we might have a deeper affection for you, a deeper understanding of how much we are loved by you. And God, greater hope um, for the day we'll be with you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be kind of looking at the last two verses of Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. And there's two words that have really jumped out at me as we've been working through this passage. You know, the word provision and presence. Uh, David is showing us how we see the provision of God. And then I think in, in this section here, we get into the presence of God. In this, in this psalm, David has shown us that God is a, a protector and a comforter. He's a leader. And we see here that he is a provider. God has and always will provide and, to, and see too what it is that we need the most. In the scripture, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees to it or the God who provides. Now, at first glance, uh, it might look like David is kind of departing from this pastoral tone that he's used in the psalm. Some scholars note that. Um, we've gone through this pasture. We've been led through the valley and now to this sanctuary of his tent. But really, the scene is still pastoral. Uh, it seems like God's kind of moved, uh, the imagery of God has kind of moved from shepherd to host, but really that hosting, that hospitality was a common practice for shepherds. There, the ancient shepherd sent was a, was a safe house for every wanderer, uh, whatever his character or past um, might be, uh, whatever, um, wherever he was from, he was received as a guest of God and he would be given food and lodging and the host was responsible for that traveler's safety. And this is the custom that David had in mind when he wrote this line. He's talking about the provision of God who welcomes in the stranger, who welcomes in the wanderer and the traveler and the foreigner. He's, he's showing us the, the provision of God, that God who seats us at his table, he welcomes us in, in spite of and despite of our past, and he lavishes love on us. And it is David just showing us, once again, the very nature of God to serve, which is what we see in the person of Jesus. It's Jesus who stoops down low to wash dirty feet. It's Jesus who, who feeds multitudes on hillsides. And what David is showing us here is that God's setting up a meal. He's setting up a table in the presence of enemies, he said. Now, now to me, this is a very interesting 
picture, um, that that's what God decides to do in the presence of, of enemies. For, for a shepherd, an enemy would be anything or anyone that threatens the security of the sheep. And it's the same thing for us. An enemy is anything that threatens our security or our well-being or our being well. And maybe for you, your enemy has a name and a face and it haunts you. You can see it all the time. Maybe it's the unseen enemy. Maybe it's an an enemy that impacts you economically or, or physically or mentally or spiritually. And the reality is that all of us have things that come against us in this life. And the scripture tells us that. The scripture says in this world, you will have trouble. And so the imagery here is so beautiful because David is saying in the middle of all of that is coming against us, God's preparing a table, a meal for you and I to dine with him. Now, when I think about what I need most when I am threatened, a table uh, and a meal and a dinner table conversation is not really my first thought. If I had to think of what I really wanted and or needed in the presence of enemies, in the presence of things that were threatening, uh, the table is not the first image that comes to mind. But, but God here provides exactly what we need most when we are threatened or in danger, which is his presence in an extremely intimate way. And so what David is teaching us is that in the midst of conflict, in the midst of trouble, God sets up communion with him. God leads us, leads us into deeper intimacy with him. When we are consumed with fighting our enemies or trying to scheme and hatch plans against that which threatens us, God is setting the table and he's inviting us into more and more intimacy with that. And I don't know if when you read that, that thought, you just kind of glance over that. We're so familiar with this passage. Maybe it really doesn't land in our hearts and our minds. But David's telling us something just profound here. He's saying the king of all creation has prepared a table, prepared a, prepared a meal, and he wants to be in relationship with you. So David goes on to describe this scene. He says he anoints us with, with oil. Uh, and all throughout the scripture, this is a, a, a picture of great blessing. It was a sign of great blessing to be anointed with oil. It was a, it was a token of esteem. And love was shown, um, extravagant love was shown by the costliness of the oils, the fragrance that would cover us. And then David continues, he says, our cup overflows. Uh, when, I, when I read this, I, I I picture this as a host who never lets your cup get low or your plate be empty. I, I grew up in an Italian household and I've had the pleasure of eating with Italian friends in their homes in Italy. And my experience around the table is that you better be ready to eat a lot. Mangero, eat, mangia, mangia, mangia. That's the thing that you will hear at the table over and over again. Mangia, you hungry? You eat? You hungry? Right? And in fact, the last time I went to Italy, I had to learn uh, the word for full. Piano, piano, full, full. Aspetta, full, piano, right? And that is the picture that I get here is that God is just heaping on his children blessing to where your cup, your plate, it all overflows. And what David is kind of drawing us to is this, this metaphor of God's table is it depicts his ongoing gracious provision. There, there's one uh, author who has said that abundance and redundance belong to God. Uh, in, in the Psalms, there's a, there's a verse where the people are asking, God, can you prepare a table 
in the desert. Meaning like when we're in the wilderness and there's nothing around, everything is scarce, can you provide even then? And of course, in the context of that psalm, it's talking about the provision of what God did for his people in the wilderness. This view of God is so important for so many reasons, but one of the things that it draws me to personally is it draws me to my inadequacy. Because our problem, my problem, is that we believe too much in ourselves. We believe too much in our own experience, in our own education, in our own appearance, in our own personality, in our own opinions. We believe too much in those things. But the reality is that human limitations are limitless. Human limitations are limitless. Whether it's a virus or a financial miscalculation or a social miscue, life cannot be controlled or contained. In an article entitled, The Art of Being the Big Shot, the author author says this, it is my pride that makes me think that I call my own shots. And that feeling is my most basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I can't rely on myself. I am dependent on God for my very next breath. It is dishonest of me to pretend that I am anything but a man, small, weak, limited. So living independent of God is self-delusion. When I am self-dependent, when I depend on solely myself, I am lying to myself about what I am because I am pretending to be God and not man. My independence, read, my individualism is the idolatrous worship of myself, the national religion of hell. Our limits are limitless, but God has no limits. And that's what David is drawing on here. This reality that God never wears out. God never gets tired. God never runs out. And the quicker that we can stop trusting in our own strength and our own might, the sooner that we experience the overflowing supply of God. God's greatness flowing through our incompetence. That's the grace of God. So David ends the psalm with this phrase. He says, surely goodness, and the translation that I read from says faithful love. So surely goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. David says, surely, and again, this has been mentioned, but David kind of writes a psalm near the end of his life, and so he's reflecting back, and he can say with certainty, surely, without a doubt, goodness and love follow me always. David has witnessed God come through for him countless times in the past, whether it's a victory over the giant Goliath, um, or God in his graciousness and mercy and his sin of adultery and murder. And, and David is just saying, I know always goodness and mercy are with me. And the lesson here that David is teaching us is that we should let God's faithfulness in the past fuel our confidence or our faith in the future. Let the faithfulness of God in the past fuel your faith in the future. And there's two phrases that we have to pay attention to here at the end of, uh, this psalm, goodness and faithful love. So who is good? In in Luke chapter 18, Jesus answers that question. He says, who is good? Because only one is good, God. Jesus is God, so Jesus is good. And who is love? 
love is actually the way that God introduces himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This is what God says of himself as he's kind of announcing himself on the scene. He says, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. The scripture tells us that God is love. So who is good? It is God. Who is love? It is God. So here in this poem, what David is doing, he's personifying two attributes of God himself. He's saying, surely goodness and faithful love, meaning surely God will pursue me all the days of my life. Paul in the book of Romans, he reiterates this sentiment that nothing can separate us from the measureless love of God. Death can't, life can't, wars can't, disease can't, financial collapse will not. None of these things, or even all of these things heaped together. Nothing can dislodge this reality that as a son or daughter of God, that God is with me, that he is for me. I am dearly loved, completely forgiven, and forever free through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have to know that and we have to preach that to ourselves over and over again and be reminded of that because the subtle craft of Satan is to convince us that God is holding out on us. It always has been. That's the fundamental deception of the devil. And God answers that and dismantles that lie with his presence. He, he follows us into our present. He goes behind us and before us, guiding us, leading us to pastures and streams, protecting us with rod and staff, gathering those who have wandered, and he leads us home. There's an author who says this, uh, Annie Johnson Flint. She says, Is any promise sweeter in all our Father's word that I will dwell forever in the house of the Lord? She's saying, Is there any truth? Is there any hope that's any more beautiful or any sweeter to us than that? Because for the Christian, no matter what happens in this life, we're headed home. Whatever good things that we might experience in our homes here, the, the warmth or the love or the togetherness, the family that we might experience in our homes here, as great as those things are, the ultimate reality is that those good things are just echoes of truer and better things that we will find in our Father's house. With a Father who never dies, who makes a home for the lonely, whose family is all races and tribes and tongues, men and women, sons and daughters, all are taken in. And as C.S. Lewis says, the great bleeding wound from which all of us suffer will be eternally healed. And one of these days we'll be home and everything will be complete. No sin, no sorrow, no threats, no insecurities, no pain, no disease, no racism, no hate. A place where the only supremacy is the supremacy of King Jesus, a place where everything sad will come untrue. And Jesus himself promised us in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's the fundamental revelation of heaven in both Testaments, that the people of God are taken in, welcomed, received, embraced, included. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, it says this, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, which is good news for us in Arizona. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So until that day, how do we live? I think what Psalm 23 teaches us is that we live with hope and with purpose. Hopefulness anchored in the love of the shepherd over us, the shepherd who guides us, the shepherd who leads us, the shepherd who comforts us. Hopefulness that's anchored in the love of that shepherd and an overwhelming awareness of the provision and the presence of Jesus. So we are hopeful people because of the love of our shepherd and because of the provision, the presence of Jesus. And secondly, um, we're purposeful. We are a purposeful people and we are purposeful in our table setting and our setting the table for others. We're, We're purposeful in our anointing blessing. How can we be anointing blessing on our neighbors or on our enemies, on those who look differently than us, on those who think differently than us? How might we be people who anoint blessing on them in our cup filling? What ways can you just be absolutely extravagant? In what ways can you be like Italian mom feeding extravagant to your neighbors, to those around you, to your family, to your your enemies? How can you be purposeful in your cup overflowing, especially when you think about the most vulnerable, when you think about the most hurting right now in our society, when you think about the oppressed, when you think about the marginalized in this world, how can you anoint with blessing? How can you set a table? How can you fill up their cup? And just like goodness and faithful love follow us as the people of God, we are extending that to one another and to the world for the fame of Jesus so that one day when we are finally home, and we're finally at the table, we might look across the table. And because of the way um, that we loved our neighbor, they might be sitting there enjoying a meal with us, with the Father, as we eat at the Father's house. Um, I want to pray that God might make this this psalm um, a guiding principle for us, both in our recognition of the reality of who God is, and both um, as an encouragement for us to be the people that God is calling us to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this psalm. And God, may it not be so common to us that um, God, it just is something on a bookmark or a bumper sticker. Um, God, and it, and it loses its power. It loses its beauty. And God, I, I thank you for the way that you have um, reignited my love for this psalm and for you through this psalm. God, I pray that you would impress the scripture deep upon our hearts, God, um, that we would trust you as our shepherd, that we would trust in your provision, and God, that we would seek and thirst and hunger for your presence. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. When we get to this moment of communion, um, it's a reminder for us that God not only prepares the table for us, but he is the one who feeds us and satisfies us. In fact, the invitation of Jesus at the last table was to eat of his body and to drink of his blood. And in Luke 22, he takes the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples who were there with him. And he said, this is my body. It's given for you. So do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup 
is a new covenant. Um, it's a new unbreakable promise between me and my people in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take and drink. By eating and drinking, um, we say amen and yes to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and we proclaim his coming until he comes. We remember our great shepherd, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world.